I had to look up if like who's my water provider. I I know my internet provider. I know my electricity provider. And with water, it was more of a mystery. Welcome to the Sound of Water, where we talk about everything water. My name is Alyssa Mercy, and I'm Mariana Botão. States, the coronavirus pandemic has left many businesses, municipalities, and citizens struggling to make ends meet. The federal government's CARES Act, an aid package of $2.2 trillion, was passed to provide financial assistance to these groups, but water utilities were left out. These entities provide essential services, cleaning, drinking water, and wastewater for every American, and many are calling for a bailout. However, this does not just affect the utility companies, but even customers cannot afford to pay their water bills. And if utilities can't get relief now, how will they tackle the massive funding gap for aging water infrastructure? We decided to invite Adi Manayan to further delve into this issue with us. Adi is a rising second-year graduate student at the Cornell Institute for Public Affairs. Before pursuing his MPA, he worked as a business journalist covering news for the food industry. He is currently a summer intern at the Chicago-based philanthropic organization, Lover for Change. Hi, Adi. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me and inviting me to join this discussion. Yeah, of course. Of course, we're excited to talk with you. Um, so I wanted to start off by learning a little bit more about you, uh, for us, and for our listeners. So can you tell us where you're from originally? That's a very good question. Um, so Chicago has been home for the last 10 years, and this is where I'm currently based. I was born and raised in Austin, Texas until the age of nine. And from there, I moved with my family to Jakarta, Indonesia, where my parents are originally from. So I've, I've spent like an equal amount of time in Austin, Indonesia, and Chicago. But I think Chicago now is where I've lived the longest consecutively, and also it's, it's home to me. So. Yeah, those are three really different places. <laughs> yeah, and on the topic of water, like it just helps. It I guess like in each place I've lived, I've got to experience water differently. Um, so I'm I'll be happy to share a little bit about that. Yeah, great. That sounds great. Uh, thank you for being here, Adi. So tell me, what are your plans for your future once you finish your MPA? So. My immediate plans, I'm, I'm not sure yet, especially with the pandemic going on. I think people's plans have had to change. I'm currently doing an internship, as Alyssa said earlier, at um, Lever for Change, which is an, a philanthropic organization, an affiliate of the MacArthur Foundation. Um, so it's my first stab at, you know, the, at you know, learning the ropes in the philanthropic sector, and I enjoy it a lot right now. So that's an option. I've also spent time in the private sector um, as a journalist. So I, I'm just getting all this different experience and I'll figure out what, what works best after my MPA. But um, I think that I definitely want to stay in Chicago. That sounds great. I think it's, it's good that you take your time to explore different possibilities. Um, so moving on to our topic of interest here, which is water. What would you say are your fondest memories of water in a community that you have lived in? Um, 
so like I said before, I've lived in different countries, different, different forms of access to water in everyday life. I think that my fondest memory of water would be when I was an exchange student in Switzerland when I was in high school. So this was after living in Indonesia um, where you, you can't drink the tap water. There's no infrastructure to make our tap water drinkable. And we always had to buy bottled water or we subscribe to like a gallon of water for water chill. So every home has like an off a water cooler, kind of like what most US offices have. And in Switzerland, it was, um, it felt like such a luxury to just go to any tap, fill your water bottle. And sometimes like the cities there have fountains and you just see people filling their water bottles from these fountains, which to me in Indonesia, wow. that would be really gross. But um, in Switzerland, <laughs> that was something that everyone did. And then even within Switzerland, there's like different flavors of water depending on the minerals of that locality. So Zurich is known to have high um, lime or kalk, as they called in German. Um, it's a type of calcium, I think, in their water. So it, it kind of is, it's milky in texture. And if you live in Zurich, you're used to having to wipe down your showers and kettles and everything because it just builds up. And then you go to the Alps and the water tastes really crisp. Um, I think... I think, if I remember correctly, it was because that water comes from the glaciers. Um, so there's some regional pride there in Switzerland about how your tap water tastes. And that was interesting for me to observe. So I would say that's a fun memory with water that I have. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a fun one. Yeah, I can't even. It's so funny, like Swiss pride, you know, they have so <laughs> many little like hidden gems there. Um, it's such a small country, but like the dialect from one city to the other is very different. And I think it's, it's the mountains really isolated those cultures. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Today's theme is, is water utilities um, in the United States. So we wanted to specifically talk about an article written by Brett Walton in Circle Blue, which is this really great website that has everything water news. I definitely recommend checking it out. But in the article, there are really two major issues at play. There's the loss of revenue due to COVID-19 and its implication on water utilities. And the other is the overarching infrastructure problems in this country. But first, let's talk about issue number one. This article brings up how utilities are using, losing money, both from residential users as well as commercial. And this is why many are calling for a bailout and a second coronavirus relief package. Adi, why do you think there's uncertainty surrounding emergency funds for water utilities? That's a great question. And Alyssa and Mariana, thank you for sending that article uh, beforehand. I think I'll have to begin with, I'm definitely no expert in water. And after reading that article, it did make me realize how little I knew about how water is delivered to American households. I had to look up if who's my water provider. I, I know my internet provider. I know my electricity provider. And with water, it was more of a mystery. Um, so to answer this question, uh, I think that the uncertainty around emergency funding for water utilities I think it's more shared to, to all other utilities when it comes to the COVID pandemic, the coronavirus and the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but water is in a unique situation because like electricity, it has very different customers that have very different 
amounts of usage. So you have the industrial customers of water that needs way more water than the residential customers. But I don't know if I could really pinpoint where the uncertainty surrounding emergency funding for water comes from. I do have a sense that it's not a topic as widely discussed. Um, and this is through like a quick Google News search. Like when I looked it up, a lot of the articles around emergency, like bailouts and emergency funding are to small businesses that are in the consumer goods sector, restaurants, but there's not a lot of conversation around water. I guess short answer is that I, I, I don't know what the uncertainty comes from, but I think it's a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's not top of mind for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen the economy first sort of phenomenon happen here in this country. So what do you folks think? I think from my own experience, the U.S. has had this horrible challenge with trying to adjust, address things like infrastructure. I think there's this mentality that like, oh, it's built and we have it. Let's forget about it, right? We don't really need to think about it anymore um, when that's not really the case. And, you know, especially now we have a president who doesn't really value environmental concerns, you know, and I'm sure that's probably what could keep it from sort of happening in Congress. But yeah, I think even just what you said earlier, you know who your energy provider is, you know, your, your, you know, your internet provider, but like, yeah, people don't think about their water because it's just something that we're all just so used to getting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I am not a water infrastructure expert, but sometimes I think that People just take water for granted. We just realize how important it is when you're out of it. And it's a little bit different from electricity because, you know, sometimes you just have an outage, right? Mm -hmm. With water, it's a little bit more different. But I think it should be something more important. People should put this in their priority list. Yeah. And I'll, I'll also add that, you know, living in the Midwest and in Chicago, we have a lot of transplants from Michigan. I, I went to school in Chicago, so I have a lot of friends from Michigan. And I think the Flint water crisis has put water more on the radar um, for people in, in my region. So when you think about water infrastructure and you think about health outcomes and water's impact, the, the impact, the necessity of the correct infrastructure um, to deliver water to households. But still, that's kind of like a headline-grabbing example. But beyond that, we don't really have a lot of other discussions on the day-to-day -day delivery of, of water. But, but that's the thing, right? Mm -hmm. He had to take a huge uh, problem yeah. to make it appear as something important. Yeah, something urgent. A few of the many water utility cons customers include businesses that have been temporarily closed or downsized, including restaurants, colleges, and hotels. But the 50,000 utility companies in the United States often rely on a mix of customers from commercial, residential, and industrial sectors. However, water utilities in some places have recognized the difficult situation that many residential customers are in and turn water on from, for customers who cannot pay. Water, uh, one would think, is a basic human right. If anything, it's a need. 
and this isn't a new scenario, but rather a lack of access to water is more apparent when uh, during epidemic, right, in a case like we are having right now, especially in a country that has infrastructure and fresh water sources. So Adi, wh what, are, what would you say are some of the ethical dilemmas in this type of situation? Uh, that's, that one's a tough question. Um, more about being able to map everything out in, concisely. Um, but I think what stood out to me the most is, like you said, water is a need and a necessity. But at the same time, the infrastructure in place, you know, you need resources to be able to pay for the people who keep the infrastructure going and that, that manage um, water delivery. So you'll have to, you know, that's something that you need away. People need water and people need access, easy access to clean, usable water. Um, especially in a time of pandemic where you need to wash your hands and all that. Um, and how do you balance that with the needs of the workers that do deliver water to households or make sure that the infrastructure is in place? And another ethical dilemma is, you know, you, you just can't shut off access to, to clean water um, from households. So you can't really use... Uh, I guess, like a fine, you know, when, if you don't pay your internet bill, it, you could cut off that internet. Um, but with water, you know, if you can't pay your water bill, cutting off water, a lot would argue is, is a violation of a human right. Exactly. So mm -hmm. for instance, in Brazil, the access to clean water is considered an essential public service. Mm -hmm. And being an essential public service, in other words, it means that it has to be continuous and it cannot be suspended or interrupted. Yeah. But more recently, Brazilian legislators are trying to change our constitution to include the access to drinking and clean water is a fundamental right to every citizen in our country. So uh, knowing this from my background really uh, made me really I know it was really surprising that here in the U.S. you can actually shut down water to some households. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And I think it's, it's more prevalent than people realize, um, especially, you know, in areas that are um, low income. And, you know, you could argue that this is just another um, issue of environmental um, injustice. Yeah, definitely. And on that topic, so this this article actually mentioned a, a, a program, a water aid program for low-income residents. Um, it was, you know, introduced by a couple of um, Democratic representatives in the House. Um, it was based off a, a former piece of legislation called LIHEAP, which is um, Low-Income Heat and Electric Assistance Program. Um, so this particular water program would assure that water could not get cut off during a time of crisis such as our pandemic, and it would turn water back on for those who previously couldn't pay their bills. So essentially putting a moratorium on shutoffs. Um, however, some members of Congress feel that a program like this would be only something that they would have temporary, it wouldn't be permanent. Um, but, you know, at the same time, no one really knows how long this pandemic is going to go. You know, no one knows how long people are going to be like without, you know, the financial um, ability to pay their bills or even if the economy does start to recover we don't know how long that's going to last um 
And, you know, on top of that, like you said earlier, Adi, one of the best ways to prevent, you know, getting COVID is, is to wash your hands. And if people can't wash their hands, you know, isn't this more of like a public health crisis? Couldn't you kind of argue that uh, being able to, to provide these relief packages or these low-income programs, assistance programs, is, is, you know, addressing a public health crisis? Well, I think that would be the using the hand washing would definitely be a timely matter of highlighting this issue and the importance of just bailing out water utilities or making sure that everyone has access to to water. Um, and also that would be the reasonable thing to do. But I, I think that a lot of bills and proposals that have passed or, or that are debated in our Congress, there's often like reason doesn't play a big role in them. But, <laughs> <laughs> or as, as much as I want them to. Um, but uh, I, I mean, it is, I think, a public health issue as well. Just access to water is a basic human right because it, it relates to health. You need, a, you need to drink water that's potable and wouldn't you know, give you sickness. And you also have to um, use water to clean your home and your, yourself. Um, so I think there could be a strong case made um, in Congress to, in terms of packaging this as a public health issue and like something that's very relevant in the, in the time of uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Absolutely. I think it's, it's interesting. I was thinking the other day about, you know, I was, I forgot who it was, but like I recently saw some article about, you know, some celebrity or something who was like, I'm going to donate $2 billion to, you know, for pandemic relief. And, you know, there's, I've, I've seen, you know, for example, like environmentalists sort of comment, how come, you know, you can get all of this, this funding so quickly for the pandemic. And yet people have been like, arguing about environmental issues for decades. And, you know, we're still, we still have this huge budget deficit. So um, it's interesting um, how, how, if you do package something a certain way, how it might actually get better results. Mm, I didn't think of it that way, but that's also an interesting point that you brought up. If people are just, you know, dismissing an idea because it's branded as like, oh, that's just environmentalist, you know, gibberish or whatever, um, versus, you know, when you package it as something um, that would appeal more to the that people that control that capital, then it might yield different results. That is so shockingly stated in this article is the actual figure for revenue loss. Drinking water utilities report around 13.9 billion in losses while sewage treatment facilities estimate nearly 12 billion, with an addition of 1.6 billion loss if utilities do not increase their rates. That is nearly a 28 billion deficit, and it is said to be a conservative estimate. I think this is a very alarming for the second issue here, and that's, uh, and that's the infrastructure repair and replacement. So far, the House has passed a Moving Forward Act, a 1.5 trillion infrastructure package that now needs to pass the Senate. Beyond revenue losses for this year, what do you think are some of the long-term repercussions if utilities do not receive this relief? 
Well, I think the big thing that we've discussed so far is definitely public health. Um, so with this loss of revenue, we're also delaying important updates that affect health outcomes of communities. Um, so, you know, with the loss of revenue and the delaying of repairing or replacing pipes, then that means more lead exposure to some communities or um, more expensive projects down the road because of this delay of and the delay not only coming from a loss of revenue, but also just changing priorities of where government budgets go and what projects they want to fund because of the pandemic. So one of the, I guess, long-term repercussions I could think about is when we finally agree to, you know, target water and infrastructure repairment, we have a lower starting point because of because of, um, or a lower base baseline because of the delay um, that that we've caused. So that would make it a more expensive project in the future. And also like along the way, there will be a lot of unnecessary morbidity or mor mortality issues um, in the communities that are most affected. I agree with you. This could also lead to much more uh, expenses on the public health part mm -hmm. if we are not balancing it out from these ones. Yeah. Yeah, I do think though that there is, there was kind of one silver lining that um, this article presented um, and that's that, you know, how do you utilize investments in infrastructure to jumpstart the economy after, after the pandemic? Um, you know, investing in jobs in energy or road or water infrastructure can create growth um, and also make these really much needed improvements, like replacing lead pipes, you know, the Flint, Michigan issue, which still hasn't been addressed um, in its entirety. And, you know, Im implementing more like conservation, irrigation and agriculture. But Adi, as someone who, who's a public affairs student, um, have you, you know, in following the presidential candidates, heard anything about funding infrastructure? Yeah, that's a really good question because it did also. So for transparency, Alyssa sent me a list of questions. And when I when I read that one, I realized that I don't think I paid attention a lot to um, how infrastructure is mentioned. And it, it may reflect on what what are the issues that I pay most attention to, which is diplomacy, foreign diplomacy and foreign relations and um, trade and climate. So I had to do a quick search on, on what are the the policy platforms that the current presidential candidates um, or, or how they've addressed uh, infrastructure in the debates and their speeches and political actually has a really good tracker. Like it's, I highly recommend um, everyone to, to use this. They just um, aggregate all the different times a specific issue is mentioned during a debate. Um, okay. And it includes um, insight from from former candidates as well, so people that have dropped out of the race. And there's one tab for infrastructure and clean water is one of the issues. And Joe Biden hasn't addressed water at all, I think, a clean water at all based on, on this political aggregator. Um, the way that infrastructure has been discussed, um, especially in the Democratic Party, has mostly been about transit and greener technologies. So I think that's a, you know, that's a big, in gap in the discussion of 
of policies and infrastructure is clean water. According to Politico's analysis, it looks like the only people that have mentioned clean water um, or have had three policy outlines for this topic have dropped out. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, Elizabeth were they? Warren and Julian, Julian Castro. Mm -hmm. um, they talked about reinstating the clean water rules, or I'm reading right here. Um, and Tom Steyer was the only candidate that mentioned uh, creating a constitutional right to clean water. And um, Joe Biden is listed under the 22 candidates that are TBD or to be determined in terms of any discussion on clean water. So. Yeah, that's so crazy. And I think part of that probably comes from the fact that perhaps, you know, politicians or, or investors just don't really see water as, as, as a really profitable investment, you know, transportation, you can get user fees out of that energy, you know, but yeah. yeah First Mariana mentioned earlier that it's just something that a lot of us take for granted. And I watched a James Bond movie recently, Quantum Solace, okay. where um, you know the the premise is you have this this illegal operation trying to implement a dictator in Bolivia because they want access to like this desert and people think it's oil, but then the big twist in the end is that that desert has water. Um, <laughs> this and this this um, illegal underground group wants to capitalize on the water and like. It's interesting that that's the twist, like that's the unexpected resource that people take for granted that was used in this James Bond script. So it made me think of that. But that's the thing. It's only unexpected for, you know, apparently it's unexpected. Yeah. There are a lot of people thinking about that already. Yeah, definitely. Great. Well, um, we are really grateful that you are here to talk with us tonight. Uh, yes. Thank you. Thank yeah, you, thank buddy. you for having me. This wraps up this episode of The Sound of Water. We want to thank the New York State Water Resources Institute for sponsoring this podcast. And Bobby Mathis for writing, performing, and recording our music. I'm Melissa Marcy. And I'm Mariana Botel. See, See you, you next time. time.